Welcome to Alessia's Divine Comedy, a journey through Dante's masterpiece, a read-along podcast hosted by me, Alessia Cesana Harris. Episode 61, Purgatorio, Canto 27, The Fifth Day, Sunset to Sunrise. We find ourselves still in the seventh and final terrace, where the last attachments of the saved are purified. Of course, I didn't say it explicitly in the previous episode, but it's a mirror of the way hell was divided, to an extent. The first group of the damned that we saw was the last full in Canto Quinto, and the final was the biggest example of pride. And so, man purgatory began with that fundamental scene that made the mount happen in the first place, and climb its way back through the same vices. In a way, it's significant how the final vice is the one most closely related to love. The final barrier to entering heaven was to purify our capacity to love and direct it to its rightful object, God. His discourse on poetry was key to Dante's own purification, and so we see now that the angel came to cancel the final P, but not until Dante would have walked through the fire. It's significant that Dante will overcome his fear of the fire on the mention it was the last thing separating him from Beatrice, holding on to his earthly attachments until the very last. However, we know she is also an allegory of divine grace, so there is this tension here and I guess his view of her is purified in the process too. She is the subject of the conversation while in the fire, which Dante can feel even though the fire can't affect him physically. It's perhaps the most obvious of the acts of his own purification in this journey, which has a number of biblical echoes. It's sunset when they set off to climbing the stairs into the Garden of Eden, also known as the earthly paradise. Alas, it'll be dark before long, and the three souls will lie down on a step each, since they can't carry on. Dante compares himself to a goat, while he compares the two poets to the cowhands guarding the flock at night to protect them. And after catching a glimpse of the stars over the high wall, looking closer than they have ever been, he will fall asleep, giving us the third dream of purgatory. Once again, at the time just before dawn, when Venus is shining and the dreams are truthful, Dante dreams of a beautiful young woman in a lowland, busy singing and picking flowers. She says she is called Leah and that she wants to make a flower crown for herself. She explained that it's her intention to make herself look beautiful so she can admire herself in the mirror, while her sister Rachel never tires of staring at her image and spends all day sat down. Leah says her sister desires to admire her own beautiful eyes as much as Leah desires to work. And then Sunrise will wake Dante up to find that the two poets are already up. There is no explanation of the dream in the poet itself, but they are presented to us as allegories of contemplation and action. The dream is not random, but a part of the purification undergone by Dante. Virgil will encourage Dante on the way up, and the younger poet will rush the way up with a spring in his step, likely forgetting that it is the last of the time he'll spend with his master. As they are reaching the boundary of how far reason can take him, beyond which only grace can lead the way, their separation is imminent. Of course, from our perspective, we are looking at three more county, but in their timeline, it's three more hours or so until Beatrice will come to get Dante. 
This canto is a parallel of the scene in the prologue, which is normally numbered as Canto Primo in the Inferno. Dante has beaten the three beasts and can now climb the hill, or in the case of the actual action in the poem, he can explore the Garden of Eden. Dante has, once again, regained earthly happiness, which sin had taken away from him, when he lost the way in his midlife crisis. It was sunrise then, and it's sunrise now. The journey resulted in the goal for which it was undertaken. Virgil's closing remarks in the canto are very solemn, which to me suggests uh, he's speaking as the allegory of reason and not as himself in his friendship with the younger poet. The sun shining ahead is a clear sign of the grace which led him to where he is, with the help of the human virtues that is guided exemplified in the place where the sun did not shine. In this respect, it is significant that it was Virgil to talk Dante into crossing the fire, reminding him of his fears when they descended in hell on Gavin's back. I think we see Virgil here both in his allegorical role but also as himself, in his friendship with Dante and the camaraderie that was built in the journey. The way in which he teases Dante shows us his humanity, in fact the fears themselves shows us Dante humanities too. In a way, Virgil's allegorical roles are too reason and friendship. We are not meant to walk our spiritual journey alone, even as the readers are walking with them as companions through walking uh, this journey vicariously through the poem. And I hope you'll do me the honour of considering my company through this podcast a part of this too. As a transition canto, it's once again quite empty in content, so before I move on to the next one, I'd like to dig a little deeper in the matter of the dream. My first thought when reading it that it's meant as an allegory of the need for the contemplative life was that Mary and Martha are more obvious and common symbols of that, so why did Dante go back to an Old Testament story and take some liberties with it too? First of all, the two figures are a prefiguration of what will happen next, as Dante will meet two women, one of which was superior as she represented contemplation. That's of course Beatrice, but the other woman will be the protagonist of the next canto, so I'll say more then. This view of Leah and Rachel seems to have been common at his time, which would explain the lack of explanation for what the dream was. It was also an instance in which we see a platonic influence on Dante. I haven't found much about the dream except for a journal article that somehow I can't access with my alumni access at the JSTOR, but I am struck by two things. The implication in the commentary is that contemplation is superior to the active life, but here we see Leah, who we know was not as good looking as her sister, who enamored Jacob at first sight, working towards adorning herself, so that she too can appreciate what she sees in the mirror. I don't think what's being said here is just that contemplation is preferable, but that some souls have an easier time achieving it than others. The goal of both is contemplation, even Leah, whose natural disposition is to the active life. The way in which Fiorentor active life brings us closer to contemplation, or drives us further away. In a way, it crowns the experience of purgatory by reminding us of the correct orientation of our life. I've also seen some suggestions of Dante being cast in the role of Proto-Jacob, as he labored seven years to marry Rachel and was given Leah first which is seen by commentators as a parallel to Dante working up six days to see Beatrice but meeting another woman first. 
I'm not sure I'm convinced by this explanation, since it's a bit ambiguous about who is in the role of the deceiving father. Anyway, we'll be back in the next episode with more on this topic. Ciao! Thank you for listening to today's episode of Alessia's Divine Comedy, A Journey Through Dante's Masterpiece. Thank you also to Alexander Nakarada for the music, which is fun for 10 or ads if it was not meant as a Roman numeral, and is available in the public domain. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alessia underscore Sheik or on my blog www.sheikandcatholic.com.